Let us join together in the prayer for illumination. Holy God, as we turn to the scriptures, open our hearts and minds that we might encounter you in the person of Jesus Christ. Be with us as the word is read and proclaimed, that we might know you more fully and follow you more faithfully. A lesson from the gospel, the book of John, chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these things that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'd like to have a special moment with the children. If you're here in the sanctuary and you want to come forward, it's communion, so we have this rail here, and you'll have to go all the way around this way. And if you're worshiping from home, just get a little closer to your screens, and we'll share a special moment together. Good morning. Everybody knows how to do it now. Y'all are smart. You learn quickly. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. While everybody's coming to take their seats, I'll ask if any of you were outside on Friday and felt the wind blowing really hard. Any of you see it or feel it? Yeah, I did too. Lots of trees fell over. Yeah, I was on a walk and I saw my neighbor's limb go cook. Yeah, it was really something, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I bet everybody out here has a story to tell, right? Driving to my car and a tree was across the road and boy, the wind was so strong. But you know, yeah, and it was fun because you could feel the wind on your face, but you couldn't really see where it was coming from, right? We couldn't quite see where it was going. You know, Jesus talked about wind in the Bible passage that Miss Irwin just read. Jesus was saying, you know, there's some things about wind that can help us understand God a little bit better. Because we can't see God, but we can feel God sometimes. And we can see signs that God is working in people and in the world. Like when you look at a tree and the wind is blowing, put your arms like this. You can see the wind is blowing. You can't see the wind, but you can see the tree moving, right? So sometimes we can see people doing loving things and kind things and courageous things, and we can see God is moving in their life. And Jesus was saying, you know, if we look with the right eyes, we can see God everywhere. And you know what? I see God in you. And I saw God yesterday when so many of you were at the great day of service. There were people there, and they were painting, and they were cleaning, and they were helping people. And I could tell that God was with us. So next time you're outside playing and you feel the wind blowing on your face, imagine that's God just touching you on the cheek and saying, I love you. And next time you see somebody doing a kind thing, think about, hmm, that's God moving in that person. Let's pray together. Gracious God, there are lots of things that we don't know about you. We have lots of questions, but we do know that Jesus taught us that you're love and that you love the world and that you love us. So help us to see when you're at work, just like the wind, we can see the signs and to believe that you're moving in the world and you're moving in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for sharing some of your stories. If you're three, four, or five, you can go to Children's Church with Pastor Maggie and Molly. And if you're older than that, you can go back to sit with parents and friends. As I mentioned earlier, as we make our way through these next few weeks of Lent, we're going to be making our way through the Gospel of John. And we're going to be overhearing these different conversations that Jesus had one-on-one with different kinds of people. And one of the reasons I was so excited about preaching these lectionary texts from the gospel is because of the variety of people that Jesus encounters. All sorts of people that Jesus engages with in conversation. Next week, we'll meet the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman who by all rights Jesus should not have been speaking to her, and yet he did. And they learned from each other, and she became the first evangelist in Samaria. We'll meet a man who was born blind, who was also marginalized by his community for different reasons. We'll see Jesus engaging with his dear friends, Mary and Martha, as they're struggling with grief and asking questions of Jesus. I haven't quite decided yet what to do on Palm Sunday, but I'm thinking we're going to listen in on a conversation Jesus had with Pontius Pilate, a politician and a representative of empire. So we have men and women, rich and poor, powerful and powerless. And in our first conversation that we overhear this morning, 
we have Nicodemus, a Pharisee whom John describes as a leader of the Jews. Now, by this description alone, we know that Nicodemus was someone with a very sophisticated education. He was a deep thinker, a theologian. He was looked to by his community as an authority on the scriptures, on the holy life, an authority on the law. He was used to being the man with the answers, most likely. Given his position, he was someone of privilege and prestige. Relatively speaking, he had, was probably a wealthy person in his community. And yet John tells us he comes to Jesus. I think when we look at Nicodemus, we see someone who is a bit conflicted. Because he has this position of power. And there are many of his peers on the high council, on the Sanhedrin, and other leaders of the faith who don't like Jesus at all. Now, John's gospel tells the story of Jesus' life a little bit differently than the other gospels. And in John's gospel, one of the first things Jesus does when he steps out in public ministry is go to the temple and turn over the tables. In the other gospels, that happens toward the end of Jesus' life, but it's at the beginning in John's gospel. And so already he is on their radar, and he's got a target on his back for some because he has threatened the authority of many. And so there are likely those around Nicodemus who want to get rid of Jesus and want nothing to do with him. But Nicodemus, it seems, wants to talk to Jesus. He seeks Jesus out. He's curious about Jesus. Maybe he's heard something about Jesus or he's seen some of the miracles and signs that Jesus has done and and he knows this is somebody from God. So he goes to Jesus but he goes at night. He's got a lot to lose. If he were seen talking with Jesus at night, or talking with Jesus anytime, he could lose his position, he could lose his respect in the community, lose his authority, become an enemy of his peers, and so he sneaks in, and he goes at night. Now we're going to dig into this conversation just a little bit between him and Jesus, and see how Jesus responds to Nicodemus. Now Nicodemus begins the conversation, not with a question though. I found it interesting that Nicodemus, who is so used to being a teacher, so used to being a a spiritual expert, starts off with a statement, a statement of knowledge. We know, he says, although who's we? Is it just Nicodemus really? But he's saying we, so it makes him more, gives him more authority? Or are there perhaps others? Joseph of Arimathea, maybe? We'll meet him later. Maybe some of the other religious leaders who are also seeing something in Jesus that they want to know more about. We don't really know, but Nicodemus steps up and says, we know that you are a teacher who comes from God, for no one can do the things you do apart from God. He's admitting here that he sees God at work in Jesus, but he's not willing to ask a question. But Jesus takes it from there, and he takes Nicodemus on a wild ride. What may begin as a meeting of the minds, maybe Nicodemus just wants to sit down and talk theology, well, Jesus takes him somewhere he was not expecting to go. Jesus says to him, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again, 
unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Now Nicodemus is totally confused by this. As we hear in his response, he seems to go literal. Wait, someone has to be born again? You have to go back into the mother's womb and be born again? Now, this is not something that just Nicodemus does. We'll see this in other conversations that Jesus has. The woman at the well, Pilate will do this. Going literal when Jesus is talking about something much bigger and broader. Nicodemus doesn't understand yet what Jesus is saying. But Jesus seems to be inviting Nicodemus to consider that he needs to unlearn some things, that he needs to go back to being like a child. Those of you who practice meditation or contemplation may have heard the phrase, the beginner's mind, to go back to the beginning, to go to a place where you don't know the answers, where you're not sure, where you're not the expert, and make room for God to surprise you, for God to show you things you didn't know, to work through people you weren't expecting God to work through. Jesus goes on to say, you see the wind working, right? You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. So it is with those who live in the Spirit. you got to let go, Nicodemus. You can't manage the wind. You can't control the wind nor can you control or manage God. You've got to open up that box and let God be God and strap on your seatbelt and get ready for the ride. That's what I hear in Jesus' words to Nicodemus. But then he keeps going. Jesus keeps talking. He says, listen, Nicodemus, God so loved the world that God gave the only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish, or another translation, should not be lost, but should have eternal life. God loves the world, Nicodemus. Jesus isn't saying God loves the Pharisees, or God loves righteous people, or God just loves Israel. God loves the world. The the word here is the cosmos. God loves it all, and whosoever will. There are no boundaries to God's grace and God's love. It's for all. God loves everyone unconditionally, and whosoever will is welcome to receive the invitation. Hear that and remember that, Nicodemus. And not only that, God did not send the Son into the world, Jesus says, to condemn the world but so that the world might be saved through him. God is not in the business of condemnation. Instead, God is in the business of redeeming the world, healing the world, reconciling the world, saving the world, this world, not just the heavenly world, but this world. Now, after this point, Nicodemus doesn't say anything. He just sort of disappears off the page. And so we don't know if or how he was changed or if he responded to Jesus' invitation. One of the things I love about Nicodemus' story is there's not this immediate transformation. He doesn't drop his nets in the boat and follow Jesus like other disciples did. 
He has a journey, and we get little glimpses into it, but it still leaves us wondering. We see him again in chapter 7, and he's in a meeting of the Sanhedrin, and some of them are saying, we need to get rid of this Jesus. And Nicodemus stands up, and he says something kind of sort of boldish. (laughs) He's still got one foot in his old world of authority and expertise and one foot wanting to follow the wind. And he says, now we don't, our law doesn't say we can put people to death without giving them a fair trial, right? Scene close. (laughs) What does that say about Nicodemus? Where is he on the journey? But then we see him again at the very end of the gospel as Jesus' body is being taken down from the cross, Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin, who's called a secret disciple, whatever that means, and Nicodemus together take care of Jesus' body after death. Nicodemus brings a hundred pounds worth of ointment, which is an extravagant amount. And together, they care for Jesus' body which is something that only close family members would have done. There is also some tradition that there was in the very early church someone named Nicodemus. So maybe Nicodemus followed the wind. The question is, will we? I don't know about you, but There's a lot about Nicodemus that I identify with. I have a sophisticated education. I'm used to being the person in the room that's standing up and talking. Why you all sit there and listen to me every Sunday is still a wonder of wonders to me. (laughs) But it's uh, expected that I have something to say about the scriptures and about the world that we live in. I carry around a lot of privilege and power in the community. And like Nicodemus, I realized that to follow Jesus means letting go of a lot and losing a lot, and it's risky. And so I hear these words of Jesus, and I understand Nicodemus' struggle. And yet, can we hear the invitation of Jesus to unlearn what we think we know? Even those of us who really feel pretty certain that we know a lot, but to let it go. And to open up to the movement of the Spirit, which comes from we know not where and goes to where we know not where and may move in people and places in ways that we cannot predict or control or manage, the best we can do is put up a sail and go with it. What would it mean for us to embrace this belief that that we claim that God so loves the world, that God loves the cosmos unconditionally? And that it doesn't say God so loved the church or God so loved people who had it all together or God so loved America or God so loved this group more than another group, but that God so loves the world and that God is not interested in condemnation. I'm so tired of the narrative in our world that people think that Christians are just judgmental and narrow-minded and that we really enjoy condemning people right and left because that narrative is out there and there are people in the name of Christ who are condemning others 
But y'all, we have a different story. We have a banner that says God loves everyone unconditionally. We've got to tell that story more loudly than ever. With our banners, yes, but with our words and actions. Because there is a world outside these walls that God loves with all of God's heart. And God is not interested in condemning, but rather is interested in healing the world, saving the world, reconciling the world to God's self, getting us in right relationship with God and with each other and with the planet. There's plenty for us to do. So we don't exactly know how Nicodemus responded to this invitation. The question left for us then is how will we?